Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What's the point of doing more when the drugs don't work no more? That's when I realized that while scraping the floor in Birmingham. Why'd I need to score when the drugs don't work no more? That's when I realized what I am in Birmingham. I don't like doing drugs. I just like doing more. Then it's time for a dram and another gram in Birmingham. I don't do too many of the Zoom things. Um, I prefer phone, but I thought I'd give it a go. I thought we're going to be in this lockdown world for a while longer. So why not embrace the new technology? Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. Uh, let me know if I cut out or anything. Yeah, there seems to be a slight delay on your end. Okay, so let's not get into an argument. <laughs> Cheers. Anyway, good to see you, man. You too. I want to relay a story to you before we get into it, if you're up for hearing it. Sure. So the first time we properly met, so we had that day at Beautiful Days in Devon when I came down with Ben from Slam Dunk, which was a fun day, and it was nice to kind of connect with you and spend time with you on that day. But the first time we met, I, you probably won't remember this, but it was a funny you know, memory and experience for me. It was Download Festival 2016, and my girlfriend at that time was one of the agents for like the big booking agency companies, and she was going home on the Saturday when you guys were playing. So she said, I'm going to give you my little, you know, triple A access all areas laminate so you can go and try and say hello to no effects because I know you love them. But she was like, whatever you do, don't, you know, do anything stupid or get in trouble because my name's on this thing and it's going to come back. So I was like, absolutely. And then a friend of mine gave me a really, really strong ecstasy pill. 
So I was I was Russian. I was coming up big time. And you were just about to play on the main stage. I think you were headlining it. And I found my way into your little dressing room area and I sort of stepped in. I didn't come in like, you know, a fucking bull in a china shop. I came in with respect cordially and I just proceeded to tell you how much no effects meant to me, how much I loved your band, how much hearing no effects had changed my life and really kind of inspired me to follow the, the path that I'm on. And you were kind of looking at me like, I don't know whether you knew that I was high or not, but I thought you could maybe tell. And I proceeded to tell you this big story. And I was like, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to come in and say, you, you changed my life, Mike. And you you give me this look and you go, I changed your life, huh? In a good way. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the band were like, yeah, we're about to play. Get out. So I sort of left and that was that. But um, it was just a beautiful moment. And I think that the reason why I've always loved No Effects, and maybe we could start here, is for me, you guys have always really embodied freedom of expression and everything that you've done throughout your career has always been an evolution and a progression and a step forward and you've always you know i think actively tried to explore new territory not just in the music that you make but whether it's doing the musical that you've written the backstage passport series the book of course obviously your label um the seven inch of the month club stuff the festival punk in Drublick. for me you're one of the few if not the only punk bands certainly of your generation to always reinvent yourself and always try and be i don't know like excite your audience in a way that keeps them engaged and, and interested as well is that something you're conscious of is that something you've always tried to do to fulfill yourself yeah i'm i'm constantly aware of that I'm constantly uh, thinking of what can I do to that I've never done before or that no one's done before, you know, uh, with fat records too. But, uh, and this, this record was supposed to be a double album. So I, you, when you write a double album, you really think about it differently. And all I was trying to do is write things that no one had done before, or I had, I'd never done before. And it's all over the album. And because it's not a double album anymore, I, I lost a lot of cool things. You know, I had little, Part, the last song in the album, uh, which is called This Is My Detox, uh, little parts of that song were in all these other songs. So when you hear that final song, you're like, wait, I've heard this before because it was all throughout the album. Little shit like that I did, which, but, but that song's not in the album anymore. And, uh, and with Linoleum, I think, I don't think any, anyone's done that before. Uh, Re-recorded a song with different chords and melody, first of all, and then, you know, singing about writing it and, and retiring a song. And uh, my favorite song is called The Big Drag, which is the first song on our new album. And I don't know any song that sounds like that song. I don't know if you've heard it yet. Yeah, I've listened to the album several times. And I mean, for me, that I'm from Birmingham. And that song, Birmingham, not just because it's, you know, referencing where I'm from, but the subjects that you're sort of exploring, which is something you've always been fairly open with is, you know, the, the tightrope walk that you, not just you, but all of us who experiment and indulge, it's an ongoing love hate relationship, isn't it? With, with alcohol and, and, and drugs and. Yeah, it is best times of your life and worst times. But, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm sober and I'm not going to be sober for my life, but it's really good to take long breaks like this because uh, you just get 
good perspective and you realize uh, when you're being a total dickhead about certain things and uh, yeah, I love being sober, but I also love, uh, you know, the connections you get with people when you're using, you know, you really get close to people and, uh, and tell stories that you normally wouldn't tell and, you know, and write songs that you normally wouldn't write. This whole album uh, was written when I was abusing drugs. And uh, most, of, most of these songs were written, you know, at three, four in the morning. But that's when you get down to the cool nitty gritty stuff, that st- stuff that you wouldn't normally think about. Yeah, I, I'm completely in agreement with you there. And I do think that most of my most magical moments and experiences and friendships have been, if not born out of that, then certainly heightened and informed and, and elevated by those experiences that, I think do happen at a certain time of night when it's only like the, the elite kind of, you know, mentality people left, if you will, the kind of vampire lair dwellers. And I think that, you know, if you stray obviously from the path, it can become dark. And I do think that is when you need to take a break and step back a bit. And and then, as you say, almost being sober is like a high. Yeah, it is. It feels like you're in a totally new realm and it's like, wow, this is a, a fresh mindset to me because I'm so used to being under the influence of one thing or another that sobriety is now like, that's a transformative high in its own right. Yeah, I like doing things that I didn't like to do. You know, when you're when you're getting wasted all the time, you just don't feel good. Now just, you know, going on a walk is brilliant and uh, and doing interviews is fun. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Mike. What changed for you? Because I've been doing interviews now for about 11 or 12 years, and there was certainly a period. I know you kind of came out of retirement when Bush was in power, and we'll you know, maybe discuss that in a bit more detail in a bit. But certainly when I discovered your band in the 90s, no effects were notorious for shying away from doing press and, and you know, even releasing singles, doing videos. You were very actively against the commercialization of punk that was happening at that time. What changed for you? When did you decide to step out of your, you know, self-imposed oh, your retirement from the spotlight, if you want to call it that, and start talking about your music and yourself and, and doing stuff like this again? Was there a, a light bulb moment or is it something that just happened gradually over time? As you said, uh, I, we didn't do interviews for eight years straight. We did nothing. And, and I like that. I like a band to be kind of a mystery. And then I came back and started doing interviews only because only for political reasons to help, you know, fight George Bush. And uh, now I, I really don't do interviews very often, only before a record. Because, uh, you know, I own the record label. <laughs> so I want to push records. And I like talking about our records because so much gets unnoticed to the listener. So I like people to know what really went on. And, you know, I started writing a book about what my songs mean, what a lot of them mean, because people have no idea. And it'd be a shame if uh, people don't know the, the inside scoop on a, on, a lot of, uh, on a lot of shit. And this record, it, it was a very interesting record to record. And, uh, and I'm so happy that people like it. I was worried. And it seems that the more interviews I do, people are really uh, enjoying the record and tripping out on it because it's not a normal record for us. No. And I I think that's why I've always loved, you know, what you guys do is obviously there's a certain framework within which no effect works and exists, 
But for me, every album has a different tone and texture and, and vibe. Uh, everything from the artwork to the presentation of the track list. Like for me, every no effects record is a unique entity onto itself and different from the last. And, and then the next one that follows is different again. You've never put out what well, I don't, you know, I don't think the same record twice, like perhaps a Pennywise who I love. You kind of know with the Pennywise record what you're going to get. And I do feel like no effect has always kept people guessing. That's how you keep your band relevant, right? That's, I mean, I totally worry about that. I don't know what an album's going to be when I'm writing. You know, like, and this this album had 23 songs. So I had to drop 13. And there were more than that. But uh, I thought these songs went well together. You know, and it's, it turned out to be a really dark album. But when I wrote it, I was going through dark times. And I've never, that's never happened to me before. You know, I've never been in any kind of depression. And I was. And, uh, and being sober, I realized that, uh, it wasn't the drugs making me depressed. And, you know, uh, I went to rehab for a little while and the therapist said that too. Both of them, they're like, yeah, you're not a drug addict or an alcoholic. You just don't know how to deal with issues. And when you, when you have stress and issues, you go straight for the drink and for the powder. So just fix the issues, dude. And that's what I did. And it's cool. I was using drugs for the wrong reasons. I was medicating with drugs and, you know, drugs are fun. They should be used to have a good time with people, not to uh, to deal with uh, shitty situations. Yeah, I've had experiences like that in my life, definitely where I've ran away from the, the problems and, and the issues that I've been facing and buried myself in drugs and alcohol. And then that's when it becomes a dark scene. And, and actually, like when your mood is elevated and you're in a good place in your life and you can drink and experiment with drugs for the right reasons, then you find that actually these are quite positive forces if used correctly and at the right time. I found anyway. Yeah. And alcohol is a depressant. And when you're by yourself drinking and doing drugs to stay up later, you just get more and more depressed, but it also makes for good records. Sometimes uh, I've never been so wasted doing an album. I was just, uh, yeah, I was on drugs and booze the entire recording process and writing process, which is weird. But uh, as opposed to the Frank Turner split, that one I actually had to clean up for. And I think you can tell in the vocals, the vocals are uh, pretty good on the Frank Turner split. And the new album, they're just gravelly and raspy, and I like them. The Koki record's like that, and I'd love to chat about that for a bit because, you know, I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan. And I remember, I guess it was 2011 or 12, I was working on Kerrang! Radio and there was all these rumblings in the industry about this fucking show that you'd done at South by Southwest. I guess it was the first time you'd publicly aired the Cokie the Clown character. And I wasn't out in Texas, but I'd spoke to a few journalist friends who were out there and they were like, you know, telling me about this show. And to me, I was like, this sounds like the most genius piece of performance art uh and i was like i hope that something more comes of this character and obviously you then went on you know to release the record last year uh and that is some you know you're going into some really dark territory with that album and with that character where do this sort of seeds for that whole koki project start was it with the book and writing and kind of re-exploring those times of your life obviously i know the south by southwest thing was before that but 
Well, South by Southwest was just, yeah, I just, I had the character and I just went for it and just told all the, the most, uh, my most depressing, painful stories of my life. And then uh, I just started writing and that, you'd think that record would have been cathartic, but it wasn't. I just, I was, you know, living at Danny Loner's house, just drinking myself, uh, not to death, but drinking myself to a stupor every night and doing drugs. And you can tell by the recording how my voice is just so scratchy. And I sang the whole record, you know, curled up, curled up in a corner. But uh, for the people who get that record, uh, it's really cool. A lot of people can't get through it because I didn't realize how depressing it really is. But, you know, uh, my last divorce was terrible, terrible times for me when, you know, everyone kind of left my life. And including my daughter, because she turned into a teenager and, you know, I didn't get to see her as, as nearly as much as before. So my, my whole family just like disappeared on me and I was living by myself. So I, I moved, I went to LA, just moved in with, <laughs> with the guy from Nine Inch Nails. And uh, yeah, it was a dark part of my life. And this record is, is a continuation of that because, you know, I go through sober stretches of a week or two normally. And, uh, but yeah, I was just in a really bad spot. And also because of my musical, you know, it was supposed to open in July. I finally, we had a great producer and a great cast and then it got, you know, it didn't never open. And that just kills me how long I've been working on this fucking musical. I'm good pals with Chuck from the Mad Caddies. And he said like maybe a decade ago or more, you were working on that idea. He said that you one day came up to and you're like, I'm working on this idea for a musical. And, and that was like, you know, in the 90s or something like forever ago. Uh, forever. And, you know, right, and we got uh, Barbara, Barbara Broccoli, who owns the James Bond films. She's going to be the producer now. And, uh, but it's still so stagnant. And it, now it's a series. I, I turn it into a TV series. Uh, but we'll see how long it takes to get produced. It's just, you know, a thorn in my side. Is your daughter going to be in that? I hope so. Because she's the right age. She's 16. She's got such a great voice, man. You must be so proud. Like the video that you shared a while back with her walking down the street singing. I was like, oh, my God, that's Mike's daughter. That's just, I mean, amazing voice. Like she she carries herself like a little star as well. Like I don't know whether she's been paying attention to what her dad does, but there's definitely like that performer in her, isn't it? Yeah, well, she's she's uh, been in a lot of plays, musicals, and she's had the lead a few times. So she's got what it takes. But now she's a teenager and, uh, you know, she's way more interested in her boyfriend than anything. So, but I think uh, if the show gets picked up soon, I could, you know, use a little nepotism and get her in there. But only if, she, if she's got the chops to act. You know, that's, that's still, we don't, I don't know about that. I know she can sing. But uh, yeah, one of the things I, when I was uh, at sober camp talking to the therapist and about how hurtful the musical is to me, she's like, uh, it's great and it'll get out there. Just quit worrying about it every day. Just, it'll happen. And that just totally changed my perspective. Uh, now it's, I'm not worried about it. Now I'm doing other shit. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not going to freak out about it. Do you ever take time off, Mike? Are you somebody that is constantly working on something? Uh, and because I'm definitely that way inclined, like it's very rare that I'm just relaxing and enjoying life. There's always something going on. 
And I do think that in me, at least, a lot of that relentless, not so much ambition, because I couldn't really care less about that, but I just like being creative and staying busy and, and being maybe distracted. And I feel like in my life, I like to keep the sort of monkey off my shoulder by doing things that I like and get fulfillment from. Do you, from the kind of work you've been doing and getting to know yourself, I guess, and, and why you are the way you are, do you feel like you're constantly on the go because of perhaps an avoidance of certain things that are in the background somewhere? Well, it's not because of certain things, but my mind is always going. And, you know, right now I have 38 new songs. It's just a crazy amount of songs and I, I can't stop working on them. I'm just so stoked. I don't know what I'm going to do with them all. Uh, and the chord progressions are getting crazier. And I have a lot of projects I'm working on right now. I'm opening this cool thing in Vegas, which is, I'm opening up a museum of all things. Uh, of what? What do you think? What would you guess? Uh, sex toys and, and lingerie and the like? Uh, no, uh, that would be cool too. No, just, of, uh, you'll see. We're, we're going to be announcing pretty soon. Okay. But uh, the only way I get out of my head, that's one of the reasons I like BDSM so much, is because when you're getting hurt, your mind is off. All your mind can think about is, ouch. And, you know, getting tied up and, and getting put in a, having two or three hours where you can't think about anything, but the moment, it's, it brings me into the moment really well. Also, when I'm with my, with my uh, kid, uh, I'm just enjoying it. I'm not thinking about anything else. But besides those couple of things, I'm just, uh, I'm always thinking it's, it's, uh, it's nerve wracking. It gets old, but you know, but it's also, it makes productive people and uh, I get to be more prolific, I guess. Talk to me about punk rock, Mike, as, as a, as a community, as a form of artistic expression uh as perhaps uh a school of thought you know all those things and more what does it mean to you what's it given you what's it afforded you in your life well it is my life my life i'm a lifer uh it saved my life punk rock is just you can't explain how fucking cool it is still because it's uh well it's just the best kind of music with the best lyrics written by the coolest people that aren't rock stars and uh, yeah, it's community. It's it's everywhere you go. There's a tiny punk show going on that you can, you know, besides COVID, that you can go to and feel normal. You know, uh, when I see bands in LA or San Francisco at a bar with 60 people there, it just feels right. It feels like home. And uh, and the com camaraderie, you know, uh, punk bands, we all know each other. Once you, once you get in the scene, you kind of, know everyone and if you don't then you must be kind of weird or a dick and other styles of music just they don't have that i was just talking about this i was talking to metal hammer and uh i never thought about this but no metal band no member really started a label and signed up a bunch of bands that are their friends it doesn't happen like that metal bands are like in it for themselves there's, there's no camaraderie uh and there's no independent scene like you have to go to a big label or punk rock, like all the labels are just started by people in bands. How cool is that? And uh, I don't know, punk rock is just where it's at. And that's why, why people don't really retire from punk rock. You just, uh, you get older and do other things, but it's always, 
it's who you are. Yeah, and I think so many people, even if they're not musicians, grew up with that lifestyle and form of community and expression around them and in their life that whatever they went on to do, even if they become a doctor or a lawyer or a restaurant owner or whatever, there's that like DIY attitude that's grounded in you and stays in you and you apply it to whatever trade or industry you know you segue across into in later life i found it is something that does stay with you from like that teenage moment of discovery all the way through to fucking casket at the end of it all that were <laughs> inevitably greets us yeah it does we have a it's we have a religion we're part of a church the church of punk rock and and we're all in we're kind of you're kind of in for life we're different than other people we, we look at the world differently i, I truly believe that who or what taught you to you know look at the world differently and look at the world as perhaps a series of boxes and you know i think there's a certain amount of red tape that comes with quote unquote day-to-day life and a, a big thing for me about punk rock is thinking differently about the world and engaging with it differently and obviously for me and i think everybody who follows what you do in no effects and outside of that what was the the light bulb moment for you when you were a kid where you sort of saw oh it doesn't have to be like that i don't have to do the nine to five thing there's, there's another world out there waiting for me was it just punk and the bands that you saw in that scene well uh i knew i was gonna be involved in the scene f- forever i like playing in a band and that was what i was gonna do but i went to real estate school i went to college i had plan b i didn't think i was ever gonna make a living doing this but who cares you know you don't have to make a living doing your passion you just have to do your passion and that's you know why you work so you can afford to do the things you love uh so there wasn't really any moment like that i just i don't know i was i was so alone when i was a kid you know when i was 12 or 13 i stopped wondering about stuff and i just let things come at me and figured them out and i think listening is the best thing people you can do you know, you have, you have to keep learning your whole life. And if you don't listen, then you never, you don't learn and you're not intelligent. And st- still today, you know, I'm, I'm dating this woman who's like a hippie crystal lady and I'm learning so much from her and how there are connections in this world that we don't understand. You don't need to understand them, but you just can't fight them. And, you know, I always thought my life was charmed because I get to do what I love and things work out for me but you just have to let them kind of, you have to go with your instinct and stop following the rules of society because society is so fucking stupid. The whole idea of working 40 hours a week and buying property. Oh, that's, it's just ridiculous. So you can have stress for the rest of your life. And so you own some shithole. Uh, right now I've, I've made a big life change right now. Uh, I'm selling my house. I'm, I'm never buying again. I'm going to Airbnb for the rest of my life. Uh, Airbnb is the, is the greatest. You get to go to whatever city you want to and move into a furnished house. And it's cheaper than a mortgage <laughs> uh, for, for the house I was living in anyway. And I was so stressed when COVID came about. I was like, fuck, I can't afford this place. I can't play shows. What the fuck am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to sell my house and Airbnb from now on. So I'm going to live the plan is to live in different cities around the world for a month or two and uh, come back to, you know, my home base in California now and then. 
but fuck it. I'm going on vacation for the rest of my life. You mentioned a key word there, Mike, for me, which is freedom. And I think in the day and age we're now in, not even talking about COVID, more to do with this cancel culture and the rise of that and political correctness and these things, I do feel like, you know, not to go off on a rant or a tangent too much, and I'd love to know your thoughts, but I feel like a lot of people like to think that they're free. But if you say something which challenges, you know, their very concrete set of beliefs and where the lines are of what you can and can't say or do, if you represent some sort of threat to that, they like to try and tell you that what you're doing is wrong because it's different to the way they look at the world. And and I, I feel like a lot of people aren't anywhere near as free as they think they are. And actually, people who are truly free are the ones that often people look at with suspicion or envy or fear. Absolutely. And uh, I've lost a lot of friends recently because uh, people don't like how I live. And they they just get angry about it. They get angry that they have their kids and their mortgage and they're stressed all the time and they don't get to wear dresses or, uh, you know, have great sex with uh, shiny women. (laughs) And I I just, it took me a long time, but I've got to a point where I do everything I want to do. I I don't have any sexual fantasies I haven't done. Uh, I live, yeah, I live a free life. And the last thing was having a house with a mortgage uh, and I'm getting rid of that. Uh, and uh, I'm just, I have a, a big van and I just have my, all my latex and shit in there, my bikes, my paddle boards, and uh, I'm ready to go. You know, uh, I don't have a lot of stuff except for kinky stuff. That's the only collection I have. You know, I have two guitars, a couple of bases. I don't have a nice car. I don't want stuff anymore. And, the house, yeah, no house. House, bad. Airbnb, genius. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I've spoken to a lot of people about you on this show, uh, dear friends of yours, and you know people like whether it's Frank Turner, Doug Stanhope, or Joey Cape. There's a lot of people who've been on this show, and I always ask them about you because I've always just been interested in in you as a figure and an artist, and and they've always sort of sung your praises and been so complimentary. And a, a, a recurring theme is that you know Mike doesn't care. Mike doesn't care. Is that entirely true? Because I know that there's obviously a big part of you that does what you want and and kind of fuck the judgment, but you also seem like a really good dude with a good heart. And like, does it bum you out when people, you know, shit talk you or are kind of horrible or derogatory about you and they don't know you? It does bum me out. It does. Yeah, it does. It, I'm very sensitive, actually. And I, you know, I spend my life... Uh, trying to help people. That's what makes me happy. You know, and writing songs that make people think and maybe uh, I, I hope to write songs that make other people's lives better. You know, one of the things about cross-dressing is I hope I'm a model that 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 lets other people do what they want. You know, I don't lie. And, and everything I do in my life, uh, I think about the the consequences and the repercussions. And I try to be a very good person. And people don't see that. And like what you were saying earlier, because of uh, some kind of uh, envy or jealousy that I'm, I'm free, but I do care very much. I, I care too much because I, you know, uh, when I see injustice, I, it just freaks me out. I, I can't sleep. I couldn't watch the news for three years because I'm too sensitive. So yeah, I try very hard. Just people don't see it like that all the time. And uh yeah, I, I even bad record reviews fucking freak me out unless unless they're right. You know, often they say something. Oh, yeah, got me there. That's correct. But, you know, when you put out your 14th, your 14th or 15th record, it's really hard to impress or surprise even. Yeah, you, you have to surprise the listener. That's good music to go places where they don't expect. And I think I do that a lot in this new album. If you're going back through the, the kind of the back catalogue, what would you say is the first truly sad song that you wrote and released under the No Effects moniker? Because over the years, you've gone more to those territories. And, and I love those songs. Like a song like My Orphan Year for me just crushes me in the best possible way as, as art should do. That song is so vulnerable and honest and brutal and raw and beautiful. Whoops, I OD'd is the first one that comes to mind for me. But was there one before that that you felt was like a, a truly sad confessional song? Uh, well, those are self-sad songs. She's Gone was a pretty sad song. Right. Uh, on White Trash. 
Yeah, but gee, I haven't thought about that. It's a good, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the longest line. Mm, yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that, but I've definitely gone into sad territory because you just have to uh, you have to go to new territory. And like I said, I was never sad before. I I had no idea what depression was until about three years ago, and that's because uh, I I'd found true happiness. And when you lose that, that's when you go into depression. But I got it back now. It's all based on you know our lives are so, so much based on sex, and once you conquered that, and you get to do whatever makes you. I mean, that's, that's like the, the best entertainment in, in this world. No, you know, no God, but goddess, goddess's gift to us is sex. It's free. It's awesome. There's so many different ways to do it. And people, they just repress it. It's, it's, it's really so sad how people that are together are so scared to ask for what they want that they just end up having, you know, sex once a month or once every two weeks and just going through the motions. Guys are just, they're scared to ask their woman to fuck them in the ass. And that's what guys want. <laughs> they want to experience new things and, and pl pleasures. And, you know, you have more nerve endings in your butthole than anywhere else besides your cock. So why wouldn't you fucking do anything you want to? Because we're too embarrassed and we're too scared of rejection. It's, it's sad. I think the key word is shame. Society, religion, institutions. The, the key word, I think, is people are made to feel shame when they when they feel these emotions or attractions or and so we're taught by the powers that be to suppress these urges and and think oh i'm sinning right now this is wrong put it you know back in the closet and and you know hide it away and shame's such a, a, a damaging emotion isn't it yeah it's exactly right and I, I like to say for years now i have no pride no shame because both of those things just hold you down uh, of course, you can have pride in something you've done, but not, not you can't have pride in something that you are or where you're from or or your sport, your your regional sports team. <laughs> you know, what do you have to do with them? Of course, you can have pride in, uh, in something you've ac accomplished or something you've done for the world. But that's that's about it. And shame, just having shame is terrible. What a terrible concept that society puts on us. And yeah, I, I'm, and that's what happened with, uh, the worst part of it is, is drug use too, is, is a stigma that comes along with drug use. There's a book called Chasing the Scream that's about that and, and how drugs were made illegal right after prohibition by Harry Aslinger, the, the head of the DEA. And the US used their pressure to make drugs illegal everywhere in the world. It's just crazy. You know, cocaine and heroin should not be illegal. It was just done to for money so the DEA could stay in business. And now uh, people who do drugs are looked down upon, which is insane. And that's what happens to people who use drugs and are open about it, which I always was, is that people started really looking down on me and I got st stigmatized and people thought I was a certain way because they'd see me at shows, you know, it, yeah, when I'm at shows, I, I, I tie one on. They don't see me five days a week when I'm riding my bike or just watching TV, going to bed at 10.30. They just see the persona they want to see. And uh, that's what you have to deal with. 
have you had the conversation yet with Dala about? I did talk to my daughter about drugs, uh, and I was completely honest with her. She asked me one day. She said, uh, "So, Koki the clown is that like cocaine?" I go, yeah, "Well, yeah." So, do you do cocaine before you go on stage? I'm like, "No, Darla, I I do it after, or I'd ruin my voice." And uh, you know, she laughed. But I told her straight up. I go, "Darla, you're too smart." to be doing drugs. And, and she's been smoking out a little bit. I'm like, it's, it's just gonna make you stupid. Be like your dad and don't do drugs until you're in your thirties and you've made a few million bucks. You don't have to worry about getting fired, but don't do drugs when you're young. It's silly, it's stupid. And, but also she tells me everything. I said, but if you do ask me, cause I know what I'm doing and I'll help you through. Uh, I can give you the knowledge that other parents might not tell you. And, uh, you know, mainly I, I told her what not to mix, you know, don't do Xanax and, and painkillers cause you'll die. And don't do acid because, uh, you may really fuck up your brain, but you know, uh, you have to be honest with your kids and, and tell them what, you know, if someone's selling you a drug really cheap, don't do it cause it's not good. Uh, it's way better than just saying no. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You're never doing this. You have to tell them the rules. How's being a parent impacted your life in a positive way? Like what's, what's it like, you know, mate, what's it taught you being a dad and what have you taken from it? And what do you love about being a parent? What do I love about it? I don't It's, it's definitely kept me uh, more on the straight and narrow. You know, I don't take chances. People maybe think I do with drugs and alcohol, but I don't, you know, I, uh, when I did do drugs and, and drank, I, I always got cut off. You know, I always have someone around that looks out for me. I never do too much uh, because I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go out that way because of her. And uh, uh, having a kid is just, you know, it was Duncan from snuff that uh, told me something when I decided to have a kid, when me and Aaron decided to have a kid. And he said, it's a kind of love that you can never experience until you, until you have a kid. And I just thought, I want to experience that kind of love. And he was right. You know, it's the only love you have where you would, you know, trade your life for theirs and you would do anything for them. And watching them grow up is just such a joy. And, uh, and when they become a teenager, it's such an unjoy, not a joy at all. Because, uh, you know, we, me and Darlie used to go on trips and long walks and have do all kinds of cool shit to get together. And now, uh, yeah. Now it's her boyfriend and her friends, but that's just it. You know, uh, now you just have to watch from a distance and, uh, and bite my lip and just try to be a good, a good parent. Aren't snuff just the fucking coolest, greatest, funnest band as well. I love watching them live, like more so than most. They're just such a fucking fun live band. They're such a great live band. They've got great songs and what, I mean, just thank God for snuff. Oh, they're the best. Yeah, huge, huge influence on, on my songwriting, you know, from way back, you know, like Longest Line uh, was influenced by their cover of Do Nothing, you know, it's just that, that cool tone they had. And uh, man, seeing them play the 25 year anniversary for Fat Records in Japan, that was so cool because they just, you know, they're, they're not one of the bigger bands on Fat, but in Japan, they are the biggest band on Fat. So all these other bands that were there were like, what the fuck? 
you know, there's 18,000 people going crazy for snuff. I'm like, fuck yeah, because snuff are fucking great. Yeah, it was amazing. And for them, it was the biggest show they ever played. And and they they just killed everybody. Pretty awesome. I love that. So, Mike, last summer when we were chatting about doing this podcast, um, you mentioned to me that you were going through something that you meant uh, that meant sorry that you might lose what you referred to as your yeah i think your pride and joy i don't know if you want to go into this now or not or whether it's something you want to talk about but because i don't know what to what you were referring but it seemed like you were about to you know lose something that you cherished and held very dear has that situation resolved itself or when was this when was this this was last summer when we were chatting around july time oh well uh it was probably the punk and Drublick tour right which uh that was that was it was taken from me, you know, by uh, one of my partners because of the Vegas incident uh, uh, in the U.S. That tour is just dismantled, and uh, they started a different tour, the same tour but with a different name, same idea of a few good bands and free beer and stuff like that. But uh, it failed because they didn't pick the right bands, and you just can't slap a different name on it. It has to have uh, the vibe. And, you know, and the vibe was no effects in bad religion. It's a great fucking bill. And Punk and Drublick in Europe, uh, the one that got postponed, no effects in uh, Frank Turner and Me First and the Gimme Gimme. It's, it's, a, it's a fun bill. You have to pick fun bands that can really entertain a crowd. And you don't want too many bands. Anyway, that was, that was probably what it was. And, and I do, I own it outright now. Again, I own it outright again, which is... Awesome. If we could, if it happens again, who knows? It just keeps going. You don't have to talk about this with me if you don't want to, but I want to ask you about it. Um, Cause for me, there's this tendency now because of, I think smartphones and, and the, the rapidity in which information is shared, which on the one hand is a great thing for so many reasons. But now I think you have this thing where people are exposed to, to bands or artists or performers that they might not be familiar with. So they don't know their intent. They don't know the context, the tone or anything. I think it happened with a similar situation with the Dickies on Warp Tour a couple of years back as well. But you have these controversial fucking stories where bands are at the center of these scandals and all the people who are being offended by what the band have said are obviously outside of their fan base. And, you know, when you go to a show, you enter the show knowing who this band are, what their sense of humor is. And I don't think anybody who was at that show in Vegas would have been hurt or upset by what you guys said. But obviously, when that clip then goes viral and goes all over the world, you get all these people, you know, chipping in and saying, well, he shouldn't have said that. And, you know, comedy is obviously something which takes it to the line. And you guys, for me, have always been about that. And and comedy, I think, should be about that, is making us think like, and, you know, that was a bit uneasy what he said there. But it's, you know, it's challenging and provocative and I mean, are you okay and at peace with everything that happened in regards to, to all of that now? Or is there still a part of you that is, you know, cut up by the way that fucking, you know, went out of control? And Well, uh, it's still weird. I'm still very cautious in the U.S. Uh, and we've only played, I think, three or four shows since that happened in the U.S. Because we, were, we weren't banned, but we were pretty much banned. No one wanted to do our shows. And we just, you know, went other places. It wasn't that big a deal. But yeah, death threats, are, uh, when you get a bunch of death threats, it's something that most people don't have to deal with. 
and they stick with you pretty hard. Like, dude, we just said a tasteless joke, but you're going to kill me next time you see me in Vegas. Like what the fuck? So uh, it's sad. It's, it's a sad state. What's going on in the U S it's, it's, it's terrible. And what, uh, what people don't understand about no effects is uh, we're kind of comedians. You know, I mean, I've done stand up before. Not kind of. You are. You're fucking hilarious. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks. And but it's like we're not allowed to do it. We're not given the same rope that that uh, the comedians are given. Uh, when we say something that's slightly offensive, people get way more offended than if a comedian said it. And that's too bad because in punk rock, we were more insulated before. And, and you could say politically whatever you wanted to. And and, you know, I mean, lyrics in the 70s and 80s were brutal. You know, you sang whatever you wanted to, and you have to be really careful now. And I think I, I walked the line pretty well. I still, you know, like that new song, Fuck Euphemism, you know, I'm calling it like it is, and it is going to piss a lot of people off, but it's actually a very politically correct song. It just doesn't sound like it. It's a tough line to, to walk. And it's smart, man. That song is really smart, and it, it touches on all of these things that I guess I referred to earlier, cancel culture and being politically correct, using the right terms, you know, assigning the right genders to people, all these things. You're not ignorant to any of these subjects. You're very clued up and in that world in so many ways. And yeah, I was, you know, I've lived with, I've lived with uh, trans people. Uh, and, you know, one of the lines in that song is until I did a line of Scarlet's $100,000 cunt. Because, you know, I did a line off uh, a trans cunt, a man-made cunt. And it's weird to do a line off one of those because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no clit. So it's, it's, more, it's, it's more like a Volkswagen hood. You know, it's real smooth and, and the Coke just kind of goes right down. It falls. There's nothing to hold it up there. You can't do your, your normal clit bump. <laughs> so I, I pretty much out myself in that song. Uh, so I'm, I'm with a lot of weirdos and a lot of queer people. And I consider myself to be a weirdo and queer. And, uh, and the term I also mentioned in the song is, I think per is the term that people should be using for our person, you know, P-E-R, instead of they or them, or, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want to, but per is a catch-all phrase. I was with per last night. Oh, I love per. Isn't per great? You're not giving anything away. It's, uh, and it's a great term. I read about it when I was in college. This woman named Doris Lessing wrote a book and she used in the future. She said, people will use per as a pronoun. So get with it, people. It's easy. It's singular. Unless you have multiple personality disorder, in which case they make sense. <laughs> Not disorder, just multiple personalities. I don't I don't want I don't want to be a dick. It's funny, man. Multiple personalities are just fine. I think for me, like the reason we are attracted to punk rock is because it is meant to be a community of outsiders that is open minded and encourages alternative thought. And it's one thing when like the squares and the quote unquote normal people are imposing these rules and restrictions and regulations. But when people start doing it in the punk scene, that's when it really becomes, you know, upsetting and, and annoying for me. You've obviously been in that scene since the 80s. How have you seen it change? over the years, and in particular, I guess, maybe the last five or so years, when we are in this very fragile time where you can't say or do too much without, you know, invoking the, the wrath of, of whatever online crusaders want to come after you and, 
you know, call you to task. What have you seen within the community change over, you know, the last few years? And does it worry you? That's the thing. Like after Vegas, uh, I didn't get a lot of phone calls. I got phone calls from Kevin Lyman, from Fletch, Fletcher, Bennywise, uh, Chuck from the Caddies. I got a few calls strung out, but uh, I didn't get dozens from people who are totally backing me, but they, they didn't have my back. No one wanted to fucking back no effects when we, when we <laughs> took a shit on country fans of all things, Jesus Christ, people. It's not like we said something about uh, someone's race, you know, or, or what country they're from. Uh, it wasn't xenophobic. It was just, uh, it's about country fans. It's not a type of person. It's just people who like this strange kind of music. So, and punk rock did not stand behind us. They, they just, uh, they bailed on us. So that was sad. And that's the kind of thing that happens in the, in these times and bands do not sing songs. Uh, if they're popular bands, they fucking watch their time. And it's sad. I try not to, but it creeps in, but I, I do manage to put songs out there like 72 hookers, which is, you know, it's a careful line because it, it sounds like it's not politically correct, but it's very politically correct. Same with fuck euphemism. Uh, if you dissect it, it's very politically correct. It's like Doug Stanhope, you know, he, he just sounds like, what? You can't say that shit, but it's all politically correct when it, you really get to the nitty gritty. He's amazing. I had a great chat with him and he had nothing but good things to say about you. He loves you. And I can see why you two get along, man. You're kindred spirits. I was just listening to him yesterday. What a rad dude. You heard his bit. I play chicken in my sleep. I play chicken in my sleep. I play chicken in my sleep. <laughs> what the fuck? In, in comedy, you can't say the same punchline over and over again, like a chorus. <laughs> you have to come up with original material now over and over again. And these fucking musicians just keep singing about how, how Sally has to park her Mustang in the lot, you know, and they just say it over and over again. <laughs> so lazy. Courses are so lazy. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, Mike, this has been an absolute fucking treat. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and taking the time to talk to me, man. This is something I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. Um, I'd like to throw back to the sort of the Bush era because it's important for me to remind anybody that, you know, accuses no effects of being this insensitive band that you guys put your necks on the line, you know, with the fucking rock against Bush stuff and everything that you did then, you must have lost a lot of money. You must have took a lot of criticism. Like you poked your head above the sand when not a lot of other bands were doing it then and took the stand. and. You know, I just think that it's important that people know that you've always been on the right side of history. And I think when when you're a band like you guys who say things in the moment, you know, the jokes don't always land, do they? Because you're not doing scripted rehearsed bits. You're, it's improv. Your comedy is very much in the moment. And so sometimes you perhaps, you know, you're going to misjudge where the line is. But, you know, I think for me as a fan of your band, you've always stood for integrity and and, you know, the cause without, you know, <laughs> being punny on the song but you've always been that band for me that's what happened uh we were uh, we we had no hate towards the band until uh we spoke out against bush and when we put out uh war and airism you know vice magazine gave it a zero out of ten and uh that's when i started getting hated and i just couldn't believe how many no effects fans 
supported Bush and, and Trump. And it's crazy how many NoFX fans support Trump. And, uh, but the hate started with war and airism. And then, but I still fought for a year and a half against George Bush because it was worth it. Uh, so what if we lose fans? You know, we, we'll lose fans doing all kinds of stuff. It's more important to, to speak your mind and tr try to make a difference in this world. Just make the world a better place, which people don't want things to change. A lot of people like things how they are and you will get hated. And, you know, I'm one of the most hated people in punk rock. It's just how it is. And why? I, I understand it, but it sucks. But I'm not going to change anything. I'm still going to, you know, cross-dress and, uh, and do whatever I, I want because I'm not hurting anyone. But I still manage to get hated by so many people. That's just how it goes. It's part of being a true artist. And uh, I'm still lucky because I still get a lot of love. I could deal with a little hate. I don't like it, but I can handle it. How would you like to be remembered, Mike? I know that you're nowhere near the end, but obviously you must you must think as as often I think people who are self aware and sensitive do about how you're perceived. And you know, I mean, would you like to be remembered a certain way, or are you at peace with whatever people want to think? I'm at peace. Uh, I just I want people to know that I don't bullshit and I don't lie and I just tell it like it is, and. If you're uncomfortable with that, that's that's too bad. But I, uh, I'm for, I'm real. It's no show. You sure are, man. It sucks. I have to go. I have I have to talk to the Stern brothers in two minutes. Punk rock bowling dudes. Thank you so much for having me on, Matt. It's my pleasure, man. And I I hope that we can do this again sometime, and we can hang out in person sometime, and. Just thank you for all the years of inspiration and the record's so great. And I just, you know, I'm a huge fan of you and everything you do and everything you stand for. So keep being you, Mike, and thank you for being you. And thank you for this. Thanks, dude. That's very nice. Talk soon, man. All right, take care. Cheers, Mike. Thank you. Does anyone know how loaded he was when he unloaded his gun? Does anyone know how loaded he was when the slaughter had begun? <laughs>